the 75th anniversary of the victory in Europe over Hitler. And while there's a lot of news, late yesterday afternoon, the Justice Department moved to drop charges against President Trump's former national security advisor. I'm reading from the Washington Post. They call it the unraveling of Flynn's guilty plea at 6.35 p.m. last night. The unraveling of his guilty plea. Now, we don't have the full story, I'll know, by Monday. But be assured, on Monday, I will unpack this for you. It is a big development. It talks to you about a lot of things. But first, we're going to talk with Dr. Larry Aaron of Hillsdale College about what happened 75 years ago today, the defeat of Hitler, the triumph of the Allies, victory in Europe 75 days ago, and what it means for victory in the war we're currently in. And I'm so pleased to do that with my good friend from Hillsdale College, President Larry Arn. Good morning, Dr. Arn. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Good. How are things at Hillsdale College? Uh, excessively quiet, but good. Uh, right. yeah, now, we, we just had the online convocation yesterday, and it was pretty. And uh, a lot of uh, the kids watched it from all over the country. And uh, we wish they were here, and I think they ought to be here. I don't agree with all this stuff that's going on. Well, I hope they all listen to these three hours, uh, because I think not only is it the 75th anniversary of Victory in Europe Day approaching next month, but we're also in the middle of a crisis unlike any that we have seen, and there are ways that nations can acquit themselves well, and there are ways that they can be defeated, right? This yeah. is why we study crises. Right. If you, uh, yeah, so, you know, the Second World War was glorious and disastrous for Great Britain. And Churchill forecast that for the first time he gave a formal forecast of it was in 1901, in one of his first wow. big speeches in the, in the Parliament. And he said, uh, the wars of the great nations will not be like anything we've ever seen. Uh, the uh, the uh, destruction of the victors will be almost indistinguishable from that of the vanquished. And uh, so he spent his life, it's not well known about him, uh, but he spent his life trying to avoid those big wars, all his life. And the wars were, and, and so, so the first thing to know, when, when Churchill was asked in the Second World War, what shall we call the war? And he later published this in his history of the war. He called it, that's easy, this is the unnecessary war. We didn't have to do ah. this. And, we did and not so, have to be in this crisis either. I mean, if the, if the Chinese Communist Party had complied with the rules of the WHO to which they are signatories, we would not be in the present crisis. And it, it put everything on the wrong foot, you know, that the fact that this virus came out of China and there was no data. Uh, and so, you know, we're, it, 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 everything is catching up. Uh, we're getting antibody tests now. And those are projecting much lower death rates than the early projections. I mean, much, you know, by an order of magnitude lower. But still, very high, very, very high compared to the flu. And the New York study said half of, uh, half of 1%, that's point zero zero. let me get that right, zero 05, uh, and the flu is kind of typically 0. 0.1 to 0.2%. So it's worse. But, uh, but you know, and, and we, we don't have any way to stop it uh, except keep people apart from each other. And that shuts down the economy, and that carries health effects on its own and many other kinds of effects. 
So, so it is point, 0.5% versus 0.2%, significantly higher, but not what had been feared. Well, and, see, we don't, you know, we don't know yet for sure. Like uh, right. my hero, Dr. Ioannidis in Stanford, predicts under 0.2%. Uh, and, you know, they were talking about 2 million deaths, right? And uh, right. I just looked at the CDC website this morning, and uh, and it, uh, they say we could save 200,000 lives in the next four weeks by not having an economy. But then... Right now, as things stand, there isn't any reason why those people won't die in the in the next month after that. Uh, and so it's uh, you know anyway. All, and 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 the point was unprepared, right? We 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 made huge mistakes. There's a lot of good writing about that. Mark Hemingway, in particular, and uh, he's in an online conference we're airing at the end of this week. And uh, and. We, we made a lot of mistakes, and we made a lot of mistakes because we weren't ready, and also because, goodness, you know, the place where one of these outbreaks happens is the place to stop it. But the Chinese let it run for more than a month, and, and they actually canceled flights from Wuhan to the rest of China two weeks earlier than they canceled flights from Wuhan to the rest of the world. And so, and by the way, I believe that when we look back, the, the decision of President Trump to close the country to inbound flights from China bought us time within which to make mistakes. And yeah. just like Great Britain made enormous mistakes at the beginning of the war, whether it was Norway or other things, we'll talk about that. You need time to make mistakes. And that bought us a little bit of time to make mistakes. Dr. Arndt, that conference will air at hillsdale.edu. I assume it will be available for anyone to watch for the next many weeks as well. Yep, that's right. Easy to find. That's a conference, a conference on the coronavirus. You should watch that. But now I want to embarrass Dr. Arn a little bit. When we talk about Churchill and victory in Europe and the crisis of the last century, Dr. Arn is uniquely qualified to do this because of his standing in the world of Churchill, not just because he wrote Churchill's Trial, an excellent book, or the prefaces to seven or eight volumes of the papers of Winston Churchill but and of Martin Gilbert, but because... You've spent your life studying him, and would you just expand for the audience for a couple of minutes how much time you have spent on Churchill so they understand when you speak about him? It's not you and I shooting the breeze about the Browns draft last night. Uh, well, there's a lot to know, and nobody knows everything, but uh, and Churchill's life is so big that it takes forever, and it has taken me forever to know what I know. But it started in 1975, I think it was. It's a dog bite. <laughs> I was bitten by a dog. We have these boxer dogs, and the first one was a big fighter. And the other dog bit me. And uh, my hand swelled up, and I was confined to bed, and I was house-sitting for a guy recently deceased who'd written his doctoral thesis on Churchill. And so what was in the, ha in the house to read but Churchill books? <laughs> and I picked one up, and I read them for two weeks while I mended. And uh, I just never stopped. And uh, that's so that's a long time ago. And in 77, I got a scholarship and I went to England to study Churchill. And uh, through Harry Jaffa, another great teacher of mine, I met Martin Gilbert, later Sir Martin Gilbert. And so for three years, I was director of research. Uh, when he when he appointed me that he just, you know, he we, we didn't he he didn't even we didn't talk about money when he hired me. 
we were in the London School of Economics, and I had an introduction to him, and he had to meet me because of Harry Jaffa, because they knew each other, and Jaffa had been a benefit to him. And I later learned that, of course, that was a tiresome duty for him. He was besieged by graduate students wanting to get into the Churchill Papers. And I didn't think I needed to get into the Churchill Papers. And so the first thing in the conversation was I had read his books, and authors really like that. And so that was a big deal. And then I offered to help him. And he offered to help me, and I said, well, I don't really need anything, but, you know, I could help you. I've got some time here. Because, you know, graduate students think that time is, they think that they're eternal, right? <laughs> you know, so I didn't, I didn't realize that I was going to be extremely busy all my life. I thought I, thought I was going to just go to the library. And, uh, yeah. and you, know, you can see about two weeks ahead when you're that age. And uh, I said, I can help you. You know, I've got some money here, and I've got a scholarship, and uh, if you need me to look stuff up, call. And he said, would you like a job? And I said, yes. And he said, when could you start? It was Thursday or Friday, and I said, Monday. And he said, okay, see you Monday. And he left. And I chased him down the stairs, and I said, where should I go? And he said, oh, Oxford, Harcourt Hill, the map house, the cab driver will know. And I said, okay. Oxford, I said, should I live in Oxford? And he said, that would be better. So I moved over the weekend. And uh, 45 years later. Yeah. We're yeah, you know. prof- 40, <laughs> 45 years later. He is still working on Churchill and never has it been more relevant since the war ended than in the moment of current crisis, which we'll discuss when we come back. I encourage everyone to go to Hillsdale.edu. All of the Hillsdale dialogues are collected at HughForHillsdale.com. We've talked about Churchill often. We've often we've never talked about it in the middle of a crisis. And we've never talked about how a great man leads or how bad decisions are made and good decisions are made. But we're going to do so this week, next week, and the third week. And then I'm going to replay it all sometime around the 75th anniversary of the war. But I encourage you to watch the Hillsdale Symposium on the virus and the crisis over at hillsdale.edu. It's an amazing lineup of people. Go and do that and come right back after the break to the Hugh Hewitt Show. on the Salem Radio Network. Returns for break in four minutes and 15 seconds. show on the Salem Radio Network returns from break in three minutes and 45 seconds. The Hugh Hewitt Show on the Salem Radio Network returns from break in three minutes and 15 seconds. 
Hugh Hewitt Show on the Salem Radio Network returns for break in two minutes and 45 seconds. show on the Salem Radio Network returns for break in two minutes and 15 seconds. Salem Radio Network returns for break in one minute and 45 seconds. show on the Salem Radio Network returns from break in one minute and 15 seconds. The Hugh Hewitt Show on the Salem Radio Network returns from break in 45 seconds. Salem Radio Network returns from break in 15 seconds. The Hugh Hewitt Show returns from break in five seconds. This is the Hillsdale Dialogue with Dr. Larry Arn, president of Hillsdale College, all things Hillsdale at hillsdale.edu. This is the first of three hours, all of which will be played on Friday, May 8th, which is fortuitously the 75th anniversary of Victory in Europe Day. And we will replay these three hours, which is about the war. And it's also about crisis and it's about civilization. Dr. Arn, you sent me a note. The central principle of civilization is the subordination of the ruling authority to the settled customs of the people and to their will as expressed through the Constitution. All right, so I had the Attorney General of the United States on this week, very worried, very, very worried, that we are subordinating the Constitution to the crisis. He did not say he was going to do anything about it, but what kind of wartime measures occurred in Great Britain that we might want to be aware of, and how quickly were they lifted 
during a great war in which bombs fell and people were killed almost nightly for years? The controls were comprehensive in Britain. It became comprehensive as the, world went, as the, as the war went on. And there are three main things. Uh, one is they had a thing called Rule 18B, which they amended. And if you were affected, uh, uh, suspected of working against the government, uh, you could be detained, and you couldn't get a writ of habeas corpus, which means present the body. You couldn't go before a judge. The so great you could writ. be detained yep. indefinitely. And in the war, uh, at the high point, well, a total, accumulated total of 1,000 people were detained that way. And uh, beginning in 1943, Churchill repealed the rule. When it, it became clear they were going to win the war, the United States was in, Russia was in, and he started releasing the prisoners, and so at the end there were just a few. And, uh, you know, the, the, the man who would have been Hitler's toady to run uh, Great Britain, a man named Oswald Mosley, who, interestingly enough, was on, uh, found himself on a train with Martin Gilbert one time, and they had a long ta- talk. And, uh, wow. and Martin Gilbert was a Jew. <laughs> you know, so that was really interesting. And Martin Gilbert did what he did. He interviewed him and took down everything he said. <laughs> and uh, anyway, Churchill let him go. And, uh, and, you know, there was a lot of criticism of that. And Churchill, in answering that criticism, always gave the same answer, that is, the purpose of the British government is to protect the civil liberties of the British people. And we do not interfere with them except in the most urgent need. So that was one thing. And that, that speech that you quoted from is called Civilization, and it's the commencement address in 1938 at uh, Bristol University, of which Churchill is to this day the longest-serving chancellor. And yeah, He uh, also... He conferred decrees at Bristol in the middle of the Blitz. I'm oh, amazed yeah. by that story, which I just read. Oh, in yeah. the middle of this carnage, he, oh, he walked, and they place. do full regalia. You know, there's a old video when he when he was appointed chancellor in the 1920s of the students picking him up and carrying him down the street. <laughs> Big old mob of them. Yeah, he loved things like that. He went back to Harrow all the time, and and uh, that's another thing that's important. Churchill did a lot of things that emphasized the importance of normal life, although life was very abnormal. Uh, So the first thing was 18B. Then there was rationing of everything, allocation of everything. And Churchill put members of the Labor Party in charge of all that because he understood the unions were very strong and they would do what the Labor Party said quicker than what he said. Uh, and that, that, you know, they, they squeezed that country like a turnip. And Churchill would say so out loud. And, uh, and uh, then there was censorship of the press. And uh, that's an interesting story. There was a, they, they, they formed a body in 1939, even just before the war broke out. Neville Chamberlain formed it. And, uh, and that became very effective and even popular and accepted. And the reason is... After Churchill got rid of John Reith, who'd been the head of the BBC and had censored Churchill in the 30s, wouldn't let him broadcast, um, Churchill fired him right away. He put uh, <laughs> Brendan Bracken in there, first Duff Cooper and then Brendan Bracken. And uh, Duff Cooper, they're both very good friends of Churchill, close to him. 
And Brendan Bracken just gave the job to the editors of the newspapers. And you see, when we come back from break, we're going to talk about we do not advocate any of these things. But so that people understand we're not near anything, even though we're in a crisis, we're not anything like the crisis that convulsed the world in the last century. We'll continue the conversation with Dr. Larry Arn right after this. Hewitt Show on the Salem Radio Network returns from break in five minutes and 15 seconds. show on the Salem Radio Network returns from break in four minutes and 45 seconds. Hewitt Show on the Salem Radio Network returns for break in four minutes and 15 seconds. show on the Salem Radio Network returns for break in three minutes and 45 seconds. The Hugh Hewitt Show on the Salem Radio Network returns from break in three minutes and 15 seconds. The Hugh Hewitt Show on the Salem Radio Network returns from break in two minutes and 45 seconds. The 
Hugh Hewitt Show on the Salem Radio Network. Returns for break in two minutes and 15 seconds. Show on the Salem Radio Network returns from break in one minute and 45 seconds. The Hugh Hewitt Show on the Salem Radio Network returns from break in one minute and 15 seconds. Show on the Salem Radio Network returns from break in 45 seconds. show on the Salem Radio Network returns for break in 15 seconds. The Hugh Hewitt Show returns from break in five seconds. America, it's Hugh Hewitt in the year of the plague, 2020, April 24th, this Friday and the next two Fridays. I'll be talking with Dr. Larry Arn during this, the Hillsdale Dialogue, the last radio hour of the week and all of May 8th about victory in Europe, World War II, the leadership of Churchill in a crisis, because it comes at a time of crisis in the United States. In the last segment, Dr. Arn, all things Hillsdale, Hillsdale EDU, including a big conference on coronavirus and civil liberties. Uh, we were talking about Press restraints, Rule 18B. Parliament also met in secret. These are all in stark contrast to the limited impositions on American citizenship. We're not suggesting censorship. We're not suggesting arrest. No one is doing anything like that. But nevertheless, we do find ourselves uniquely burdened by government orders right now of the sort that we have not been under since World War II. Well, we've done, you know, I I hasten to add that uh, they didn't censor criticism of the government in the Second World War, and the censorship was accomplished chiefly by newspaper editors. Brendan Bracken, Churchill's good friend, was appointed to that. He had founded the Financial Times, and so that was that was good. That you know that was relatively uncontroversial. But you have to remember what we have done is we've stopped people making a living. We've stopped them assembling. We've stopped them moving about. 
and and uh, and you know their list in Michigan. Michigan's the worst state, I think. Maybe New York City, uh, but their list of things you can buy and not buy. And so you're, uh, what you said at the break, uh, you can't buy seeds, right? So Correct. We couldn't make victory gardens here. You can't feed your family. You can't grow a tomato. That's it. And so it's just. Uh, so there's some really bad stuff happening here, in my opinion, and on very questionable constitutional grounds. Your friend and mine, Victor Davis Hanson, wrote a piece this week that if you tell an American that they cannot take their boat into an empty or nearly empty pond and fish, the first thing that American will do is take their boat out onto the pond. <laughs> and so it does not sit well with us. And these extraordinary measures of World War II, as I've been listening to Eric Larson's book, and you've been reading the prefaces that you put together. I have a woge here of prefaces that you've done to uh, Martin Gilbert's papers. I'm struck by the fact that in World War II, children died. Children died in horrible ways on train fires and on, on torpedoed boats. This virus has spared us that most awful part of a plague thus far. I'm most concerned. The reason I'm more cautious than many conservatives is I know the science of 1918 that viruses mutate. I don't want children to die. But in World War II, children died by the thousands, and still the Britons went to work. Yeah, and see, another thing is, uh, and that's the difference between now, is that, you know, I've talked about the controls, and they were severe, and they did, by the way, lead to the election of a socialist government after the war. But, and I'm not sure the controls did that, by the way. I think the abysmal record of the conservative party in the 30s that got them into the war is what really did that. But people had work to do, see. In other words, if you just read Churchill's speeches, we'll read some of them. He's explaining to them how they can help. And everybody wanted to help. And uh, they had this thing called mass observation that I think might be better than our polls. What they did was got several thousand people in Britain to keep a diary of stuff they heard, stuff they noticed in the paper, stuff they... And they, they didn't put names of who said things in it. But they would send those in, and these analysts at mass observations would analyze the state of public opinion. They never rated the popularity of Winston Churchill lower than 80% during the war. And, you know, it was uh, like there was blackout rules, right? Well, you could get arrested for breaking them, but that's not what happened. What happened is the neighbor would knock on your door, and uh, there, was, there was a lot of crime in London. There was a, and it gave way raise to organized crime after the war because there were bombed-out places and they could be looted. And that sort of got organized, and the Metropolitan Police, which is not as big as it is today, um, uh, it fought that, right? But leaving out of account scoundrels, uh, you know, I mean, like uh, uh, my wife's mother was, uh, you know, she was a plotter in the, for the Royal Air Force during the war, and, and she was very parsimonious about food. She was just really good at not cooking too much. <laughs> and and uh, she learned that. You know, everybody huh. learned that. And, Economy. Uh, you know, and they Economy. were reasonably prosperous people. But, and the war was long in the past, but the habits didn't die. So do you think that we are going to look back and say that the extraordinary measures being taken in the United States are overburdensome? It's early to say one way or the other. We do not know the course of this virus. We do not know when relief will arrive in the way of interventions or a vaccine. We don't know a lot. Do you think 
given the precarious state of knowledge that the governments have overreacted? Uh, yeah, I do think that. And uh, the reason I think it is, there are two reasons. One is the spirit should be right from the first minute, we're going to get everybody to help with this thing, and we're going to get this over with the minute we can, right? And there's no spirit like that, right? Instead, we public, you know, Fauci, when the, when the, when he's first, the first question he's asked about the virus in Wuhan, he says, this is nothing the American people need to worry about. It is something we experts need to worry about. And that's the wrong spirit, right? Because, you know, the Chinese, they can weld the people into their apartments, which they did, right? But we, we can ask people to cooperate, and we will get it. And, what, and that, that's why I've been urging that they sell pandemic bonds, so that people can do something, not to just borrow money from unknowing taxpayers a generation hence, but to actually dig into their reserves and buy bonds like we did in World War II and World War I. And they get close to it, but then they don't put it in the right terms. I saw Larry Kudlow talking about it. He said, they're not really bonds. They're just sort of uh, gifts. Uh, you know, patriotism needs to be engaged. If, uh, you know, we're, so we're going to have college come September, August, unless we're legally forbidden. And if we can get them, you can't, you know, it's hard to buy things right now, but if you can get them, everybody's going to get a mask or two or ten. And the place is going to be flooded with hand sanitizers. And we've bought these cool little Clorox machines that cost five grand a piece, and they can fog a room in three minutes, and you can go back in it in 20, and it will be sanitary, you know, until somebody pollutes it. But then you have hand sanitizers all over the place. And so... You know, and as far as we can tell right now, this thing is not dangerous to the young. Well, it's dangerous to everybody, but it's not very dangerous and not very not dangerous to very many of the young. And, we, you know, we're watching that like a hawk. But, you know, you, you're supposed to carry on with your life. And Ch Churchill encouraged people to do that, right? And there was rationing of gasoline and there was... You know, it's hard to get, right? And the coupon books, you know, you had to watch what you ate. But uh, and, and, and what was interesting about the war to me is that people did try and find joy. They did not dwell on their heart. I mean, I, I can't even imagine what London looked like or, or poor Coventry or Plymouth or, the, or Bristol, as we were talking about, after 500 Luftwaffe bombers would come by and kill hundreds of people and destroy large segments of the city. And then they went to, I just can't even imagine what the media would do with that today. Well, it, you know, first of all, you can't imagine what London would look like, because if you drive down a, a London street and you see a row of old buildings and then suddenly a row of new buildings, and then go to the next place and turn left and turn left again, and you'll see that pattern repeated on the next block and the one after. Those are bombing patterns. Wow. You know, they dropped the bombs in a row, and they would take three or four blocks of buildings out, and those have all been replaced now. But that's that's what it looked like, right? It was except rubble, not not those buildings, not the new buildings. Now rubble, right? And you know, there, Churchill gave a great speech in 1942. The coal miners' union was the most radical of the unions, or one of the most, and uh, and uh, it was it was in Labor Party country. And, uh, and Churchill went up there and gave a talk to the coal miners in the north, where my wife comes from. And, uh, and the, the, the title they give the speech is, We Cut the Coal, right? 
and and you know these boys went over there and died and people in london and coventry and birmingham and big cities got bombed we cut the coal and we cut more than we've ever cut you see that's in other words give people something to do uh you know because otherwise the danger is the government disregards us as carriers of pathogens and that's you know that civilization speech of churchill the word civil, civil it, it comes from the Latin word for citizen, right? And citizens relate to each other under laws that apply to them all. And that makes a friendship, right? And so he says that what we think of as, you know, high civilization, painting and sculpting and all that stuff, you know, great stuff, that flows from a civil order. And, and so Churchill wanted to keep that alive. And, and, you know, it, he's talking in 1938, uh, three months later after this speech is the Munich agreements. Four months, five months after that, uh, Hitler breaks the Munich agreements and takes all of Czechoslovakia. And then six months after that, the war breaks out, right? These are dark days. And Churchill reminds the people in that commencement address of what's wrong with the Nazi rule. It militarizes everything. And in that place, there's no room for freedom. And that means people can't live fully human lives. So you, you have to keep in mind the object, right? Which is, you know, and right now we have, a, we have a fundamental dispute in America that's going to be affected by this one way or another. Is the object of the government to permit people to live private lives and make their own happiness. Is that the That is that is the question. And, freedom and, freedom first it, or not? Is it better to manage the society according to scientific principles? See. And you know, if if you just look at this thing and you know, I I'm, I'm I'm in some doubt, not nearly as much as you, about whether this uh this this lockdown has ever been justified. But it, it, I I think it's clear it's not now. Uh, but but the predictions that the scientists made about the death counts have been adjusted steadily downward. And in the case of Imperial College London, they, they estimated 500,000 and 2 million in America. And that's what led uh, Trump and Johnson, Boris Johnson, to close the economy. And two weeks later, and that's two days after the shutdown, he adjusted the numbers downward to to you know, in Britain, tops 20,000. It has been it has been a remarkable decline. I'm grateful for it. I am still alarmed by the passages issue, the evolution of the virus during the summer. We'll talk about that after the break. I'll be right back on this victory in Europe, 75th anniversary with Dr. Larry Arn of Hillsdale College, all things Hillsdale at Hillsdale.edu. But let me remind you, even on a day that we celebrate what happened 75 years ago, even on a day when we celebrate declining unemployment claims, you need relieffactor.com. Here is my, my bag. There you've got it. I'm taking it. You can see it. It's Friday, that means a long run on Saturday if it's not raining and thundering. And there are my four pills, and I do it every single... I'm going to use lukewarm, old, stale LaCroix. I lukewarm coffee. There you go. I'm ready for the rest of this day with Dr. Arm because I have my Karen Kirkman, Zveritrol, and Omega. ReliefFactor.com, 1995. Get started today. Order it. 
Maybe it'll get there tomorrow. It'll probably be Monday, but then you can begin your second seven weeks of lockdown by getting relieffactor.com, getting the temporary relief for the minor aches and pains that accompany the new regime of exercise you have adopted. Start with a resolution on this Victory in Europe Day, 75 days later, to have victory in your own life with relieffactor.com. Get the exercise going. Get relieffactor.com. Get right back here after the break on the VE Day anniversary on the Hugh Hewitt Show. The Hugh Hewitt Show on the Salem Radio Network returns from break in three minutes and 15 seconds. The Hugh Hewitt Show on the Salem Radio Network returns from break in two minutes and 45 seconds. The Hugh Hewitt Show on the Salem Radio Network returns from break in two minutes and 15 seconds. show on the Salem Radio Network returns from break in one minute and 45 seconds. show on the Salem Radio Network returns from break in one minute and 15 seconds. The Hugh Hewitt Show on the Salem Radio Network returns from break in 45 seconds. The Hugh Hewitt Show on the Salem Radio Network returns from break in 15 seconds. The Hugh Hewitt Show returns from break in five seconds.
Welcome back, America. It's Hugh Hewitt. It is the Hillsdale Dialogue on Friday, April the 24th, which I'll be replaying on Victory in Europe Day, May 8th, with Dr. Arn, along with two other hours next week's and then Friday, May 8th, when we commemorate the 75th anniversary of Victory in Europe. Dr. Arn, it is, uh, I can't let the first hour go by without noting this parallel. Um, Churchill was right from the beginning about the danger that Germany posed throughout the 30s. He was right. He led through the war with the support of the public. He was turned out. Tom Cotton, like Donald Trump, were right from the beginning about the danger posed by the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, they were as right about the CCP as Churchill was about the Nazis. But Stanley Baldwin was as wrong about the CCP as Joe Biden has been. Joe Biden called the president xenophobic for shutting down inbound travel from China. And yet, at this point, the polls say Joe Biden is going to beat Donald Trump. It doesn't make any sense. Well, you know, it's a very divided country, and, and uh, our particular way of division is something like the one in Britain in the 30s and 40s. Uh, uh, talking people, intellectual people of all kinds, they're the ones who, who want this revolution of our society, and they thought it up, and they, and and it's, in my opinion, it's not healthy, because what they've done, what's happened to the academic world, is through the writings of John Dewey and people like that, they they sort of, and this is a vast simplification, but it's true, they they thought that there was not an objective and abiding truth to be known. Everything changes, and so then we should be liberated to get control of the process of change and make ourselves into whatever we want to be. And the distinction between those two positions is one of them is the search for a truth for the way things are, and the other one is an exercise of power. And so, you know, I think journalists today regard themselves as stakeholders. All you got to do is read about the debate about who gets admitted to the White House briefings, because they sort of think that space is theirs, and they can allocate it somehow. But it's in the White House, right? And the people elect the person who lives in there and gives him control of it. And so those two alternate, and, and it's kind of heady, you know, if all you are is a pitiful, pitiful little academic, then all you get to do is teach a bunch of young people. But what if the real academic job was to plan and implement the future of the society? That's power, and it and people get wedded to it, and it's a shameful thing because, you know, the best friends I've got in the world, uh, they they love what they know, and they love to meditate on it, and think about it, and develop it, and teach it, and talk about it. Right? That's the old academic atmosphere. The new one is not that way, and and so, yeah, this this is you know we're in a fundamental thing. And this plays into that thing. And the and, old journalism, and Michael Kelly, who was a great journalist, killed covering the invasion of Iraq from the front, fell into the canal and died. Used to say on this show that journalism is a craft, not a profession. And the old craft, as I was talking to television craft especially, 
was begun by men who had been at the front lines of this war, Walter Cronkite and Andy Rooney and many others, Edwin R. Murrow. And they came back and they trained the next generation, the Brinkleys, who changed the, trained the third generation, the Brokaws. But now the fourth generation do not know Joseph, right? They, they don't really know this stuff anymore. And I think President Trump going out into that press room is a lot like uh, going to meet with Joe Biden's advance team every day and let them pepper him. And it's sort of like Churchill meeting with um, it after the war taking questions during when he returned as prime minister from the opposition every day. Yeah. It's a, well, there's a phalanx, right? And it's, it's very uniform. And, and, uh, you know, in the college world, we stand out because we're pretty good. You know, we've got an excellent college and excellent qualifications and excellent success of the students. Right. But there aren't very many like that, 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 actually conceive themselves in the way that all college conceived themselves 50 and 100 years ago. And, and, and the other ones are just, you know, it's just uh, tiresome. Uh, there's never been such a uniformity as the imposition of diversity as the object of a college. And th- that's what's going on, right? And so this, and this plague comes into the middle of all that, and it's very and see the the war came into the middle of an atmosphere of public opinion and and that meant that all of these things that they did in the war were understood to be unusual and regrettable and soon as possible to be ended and that was churchill's view right and that meant that uh, he could get energetically about the war and constantly look forward to the day where we didn't have to live like this anymore. And in the next Hillsdale Dialogue, we will talk about how Churchill communicated that, an example that could be studied wisely by everyone, how to to arm yourself in honor and valor and communicate it as such. Be, uh, be of good cheer. Be not afraid. That's the most often seen verse in the Bible. Be not afraid. I will be back. Next week, America with Dr. Arn, and on Monday with the latest news here on The Hugh Hewitt Show.